Hello, everyone. You are listening to Three Makes Baby podcast, a podcast about fertility, family, and genetics. And this is season three, episode one. I'm going to kick this off with a huge announcement. You may know that last year I started um, an awareness day for donor conception, and it was on March 27th. This year, I partnered with over two dozen groups and individuals around the world to start a new International Awareness Day for Donor Conception. That is on April 27th of every year. And we have got some really great things planned for you. And by we, I mean donor-conceived individuals and representatives from almost every area of the field. And I think it's really important that we lead with donor-conceived individual voices because of they need to be heard. And there's so much we can learn by listening and communicating with each other, by coming together to make a difference. And that is the intention of this day. And it's also to educate you and provide you with additional resources around this topic. This day is for everyone and anyone who is touched by donor conception in some way. So let me be really specific about the intentions. So International Donor Conception Awareness Day on April 27th is intended to shed light on families made in different ways due to to medical infertility, chromosomal impairments, childhood cancer, young adult cancer, various other reasons that cause sterility, and to help lift the shame and secrecy around the topic. The day is also about raising awareness about donor-conceived individuals' experiences across the lifespan including access to genetic information and also lifting the shame and secrecy around the topic. The day is intended to raise awareness about LGBTQ family building. The day is also about raising awareness about donors' rights to receive accurate medical information and education on donating across the lifespan. Okay, so now I wanna tell you a little bit about the amazing people that I've partnered with Um, Starting with Camille Guadi, an American actress that has been open about her journey to parenthood using egg donation. I'll be doing some Instagram lives with her, so watch for that on the day of uh, April 27th. And also listen for some new episodes to come out with a couple of the partners that are able to join and that will continue doing even after the day. So this is just really kind of kickstarting this conversation and this dialogue. Today, you're gonna be listening in on an interview that I had with Michelle and Nina of Donor, Concierge, and Tulip. They reached out to be part of the campaign after an open invitation, and they wanna know a little bit more about how it came to be, and they're gonna be putting a newsletter and blog together. So that's what this interview was about. It's not a sponsored uh, spot at all, so I just wanna be clear about that. And the reason I decided to put it out in a podcast is because I was really encouraged by what they had to say. Donor Concierge is a egg donor, surrogate, and sperm donor consulting company. And it is for individuals and families that are looking into third-party fertility. And they began a company called Tulip. They launched that in 2020. And that's an online search platform that really empowers you as an attended parent with choice. Listen into the interview. 
So is this a, um, is this something like the day itself? Is this something that you've always been thinking of? Yeah, I started it last year as a way to, for families to begin talking about donor conception openly. Yeah, do you think people are more open? I know I've I've been working in this for eight years now. I started with Gail in 2013 and mm -hmm. I've really noticed a difference in attitudes and people like Camille, you know, yeah. And I mean, she's an amazing brand ambassador for us for Tulip, yeah. but um, yeah. do, you do you see that there's more a move to more openness about donor conception now? Yes. And I think social media has played a huge part because people were able to be anonymous and to begin talking about it without revealing their personal details. And I've seen that shift happen, you know, because I started this before the prevalence of, you know, Instagram. So, and they, you know, no, it was very much secret, secretive and only they had only shared it with me in a counseling session and had sent, said it to no one else. So they were very private about it and very um, secretive. And there was a lot of shame and a lot mm -hmm. of brokenness. And so now to see people out talking about it on social media, it, it normalizes the topic. And mm -hmm. yeah, the child's the one who benefits from that the most. Totally. We have a lot of clients for donor concierge who say, oh, I want it to be anonymous. Oh, and it's always better to start mm -hmm. early. And of course we can't make them do an anonymous, uh, an open donation, but we yeah. try to give them resources like you, like, you know, you as a mental health therapist, other mm -hmm. places that, so they understand that, you know, there is no such thing as anonymous donation anymore. That's right. And, you know, what I'm just in the beginning of the works of is, is offering workshops or small groups that mm -hmm. parents can come in, join in um, for a fraction of the therapy cost. Um, and it begins with emotional preparation and overcoming mm -hmm fear uh, and the concerns that you have and the shame and the secrecy. Um, mm -hmm. about, so that's, that's where we start. And then, you know, eventually it might lead to contact at some point. And then you want some training and some, some sessions around that as well to prepare for the psychological impact of, of connecting with disconnected genetic, you know, folks mm -hmm. and that, what comes up and how to cope with that. I've, I've worked with, donor conceive individuals before they connect with a donor. So wow. yeah, it's really very rewarding work to help them because I know I met my birth mom and my birth dad at 20 and at 40 years old. And so I know what that feels like to, I know the fears at both ages to be uh, going through, you know, meeting a biological parent at, at that stage in the game and having, they're a total stranger to you. Um, and all the feelings that come up and the confusion, the complexity and the, you know, the internal sort of workings of that. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. yeah. So when you are working, because we work, you know, with, with parents, with agencies, with all of these different realms, but you actually work with the donor conceived, you know, children mm -hmm. or adults themselves. Mm -hmm. What typically are those concerns that they have meeting this genetic or biological parent of theirs? And um, how do you walk them through preparing for something like that? Or even before they're meeting that person, um, what's the advice that you give in terms of accepting or embracing this part of themselves? Yeah, absolutely. One of the, the, the first concern almost for most is that concern of rejection, which seems to parents can be confusing because they're like, well, what do you, I don't understand why they would feel rejected by somebody that didn't parent them. And that's a little harder to explain. <laughs> Maybe there's a psychology book that explains that, but you, there is a, a sense of they, they're worried that this person is going to say, 
don't ever contact me again, leave me alone. I don't want to have anything to do with you. And so they the, mentally preparing for that is important because that can happen. It can happen. And, and so they want to mentally prepare because it can, it can catch them so off guard and they can have feelings that they're surprised they even have, you know, guys who might go into it and be like, Hey, you'll just reach out. And then, and then it hits them and then they're processing it afterward. And that can be, you know, that can be even harder because you didn't know what to expect. You didn't know you were going to feel that feeling of rejection. Um, also it's, I work with them about managing expectations. What is that relationship going to look like? How can you set boundaries early on? You know, I've had donor conceived individuals who connect with a, a donor and the donor wants too much contact too soon. That can feel really uncomfortable. And so how do you set those boundaries and manage that upfront and, and sort of set some expectations? It's very actually similar to gestational carrier work between intended parents and and carriers of making sure you're communicating upfront a lot of expectations. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, into it. So you're really treating it, cutting, carving it out as a very special relationship that's different than relationships we would let evolve naturally. Mm-hmm. Eventually you do let that evolve naturally, but you kind of want to go in with a plan. And actually with gestational carriers. So when we were working with a client, the first thing we do is sit down with them and ask what are their expectations so that when we're looking at profiles of surrogates, we're not going to show them somebody who isn't a good fit right off the yeah. bat. So, yeah. And we don't, we don't get them to meet until we know that the medical they've been medically approved. So we've had the doctor review all the records because again, if that's the last piece, like are, is there a connection and are they on the same page? So that's when we, again, we get the mental health therapists involved, get the attorneys involved so that everything's kind of transparent and everybody knows what, what page everyone else is on. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, getting back to like language, how do you work with people about the language of this? So, you know, do you call the donor the genetic parent or, you know, I see in donor conceived groups, they call them diblings, you know, like I've asked a few therapists about this. How do we refer to the donors in, in terms of genetic, the genetic link, you know, what's the correct so, terminology? Yeah. And I think in my book, I use genetic parent um, for lack of, because we just don't have a better word, even though we know parenting is a social relationship, but we, a parent can also be a biological definition as well. So I do use that. But then I also say that, you know, we really want to honor what the child wants to say. What do they want to call this person? Um, maybe just by their name. Oftentimes the, the phrase, it cha- it's interchangeable. So at one stage of development, it might be the donor, then it might move to Sam, then it might move to biological father. It really depends on where that person, that individual is at and what they want to call that person. Mm-hmm. And it also depends on who they're sharing the story with. You know, if you're sharing it with a stranger, you might say biological father because you don't want to get into the details of of, of all that. So you say that's my biological father. If you're sharing it with somebody who's closer, then you might explain that that's a genetic father that you, your parents used a donor. So there's just, it really is so dependent on individual. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what makes this field so fascinating is that it is so individual and we have to treat it as such because it's so personal Mm -hmm. and each situation is different and everyone's feelings are different. So respecting all feelings that happen under the, you know, under the umbrella, really. Mm -hmm. I think that when the clients come to us, they're not thinking that far ahead. In fact, to, to, Mm -hmm. they're very fearful of, you know, (laughs) the, their child thinking that there's another parent out there and they're worried about all that. So, you know, we don't, again, those are the sorts of things we try to 
probe and see, because we never say we're counsel, we're not therapists. Like, mm -hmm. have you talked to a therapist about that? You know, how yeah. it can really help manage your feelings. And maybe there's a way that we can bring in you in like later on in the process when they, when they've already got through to the other side. <laughs> Absolutely. And I, they do gain confidence as they as they parent, but I do see that they can get stuck. And so there can be this kind of phase one of let's be open. And that's, that's huge and amazing and important. And then sometimes maybe they get stuck in the, well, we're open and we're done, but there's the next phase to go on to of, of parenting and learning and training. And as their child moves through different de developmental stages, they'll want to have different skills that they can engage in with their child. And that's, you know, you don't want to throw all that at them at first. That's too much. Um, so yeah, it's kind of, it's something that just can come on gradually and, and grow with them. But that on, ongoing resource is really important for them. So they don't just stay stuck and think, well, we thought we did it, but now we're having this problem with a teen, mm -hmm. um, our teen, and we're having all these behavioral issues and we don't know what, we don't know what to do. We're stuck. Mm -hmm. And that, that's what I see is having ongoing parent training. Mm -hmm. And that's what I'd like to provide. What do you feel about the frozen banks? And um, I think we touched on this a little bit the other day, but you know, a lot of people are like, I can't afford the US, I'm going to Spain and where I don't, I don't get any choice in my donor. They're gonna tell me it's all anonymous, it's cheaper. Yeah. So how do we as a field and a group of professionals like convey that there's still, you still need all that transparency and it oh, may, gosh, it may yeah. pretend like it's anonymous, but it's not. <laughs> so important. And I think that's been kind of a challenge for me because when, when I want to convey that message about transparency, I come across as being anti something and that's not, that, that's the, not my approach. And so it, it's tricky. Mm -hmm. um, but what I was so excited about in our meeting is that we were all aligned and it, that was fantastic to see because I've been trying to get people together that are aligned the same way for a long time. And I know it just takes time. And that mm -hmm. to me was like a huge moment of finding those people. Um, that yeah. are in it, doing it, have the experience, have the knowledge, and, and want mm -hmm. to move this forward in a good way. And that's a big goal of this International Day, too, is getting the right, the right people involved that are really advocating for transparency and for the families for the, and right. for the children. Absolutely. Um, I think this day is pretty instrumental in getting that message across. And I think that's why, you know, I kind of outlined the intentions of the day, not just not just the parents and the, the um, children, but the donors themselves. Mm -hmm. I see the donors and I'm an advocate for them too. And, you know, they want to be more informed. Many, in fact, my experience is very similar to Diane, Dr. Tober's, mm -hmm. where most donors are okay with contact. Not, they don't want to be your best friend. They're okay if you have questions. That's not what the industry is telling them. I agree with you. And, and we'll get like, especially with clinic donors, they'll say, oh no, she's, she only wants to be anonymous. And you, and I know that the donors actually are totally fine. That's actually how we, what we always say when it says on her profile, mm -hmm. anonymous, we always go back and say to the agency, Hey, do you think this donor would agree to a future contact? And they go, Oh, we'll ask her. Yeah, sure. We'd love to. She'd love to. That's fantastic. That's what I tell yeah. my clients. I say, go back and ask. Cause like, just because it says anonymous doesn't mean they don't right. want contact because parents will live 30 years and they'll go, well, it said anonymous and they, like 30 years have gone by. And exactly. it's like, no, that donor wasn't, they were okay with it. It's just what you were told at one mm -hmm. moment in time. So mm -hmm. don't trust that and be open to that. What can change? You yeah. Know? I think yeah. that's just because anonymous is the norm and that's almost like the pre-checked box and people don't really bother having that conversation until the parents or someone brings it up. 
Yeah, it, it is true. It, it was the norm because it, it started out that way. I would like to ask, is there a goal for the future of um, a lot of these topics? Is there kind of a, what would be your dream in terms of creating this international day of awareness? Like, what do you hope that this will, will bring about for everyone? Really hope that encourage people to come together. It can to improve the standards and the standard of care for families going through and for don't for donors donating. Um, I think we can do a lot better job for everyone involved. I know we can. I know we can. So we have to work together, you know, and we're so fragmented right now. And I've been, you know, for 10 years seeing that and and, and seeing how difficult it's been to bring people together. So I'm just excited that this maybe will be the start of Great. helping families. Cause I think this is going to continue to be a need. I think donor conception is we're just, we're in the baby stages of it. Infertility yeah. is going to continue to be on the rise and donor conception is going to be a way of having children in the future for a long time. Yeah. It's de definitely more accessible. I mean, we had our busiest year ever. <laughs> That last year, which is great, but it's all, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, but it's also that it brings it to the forefront that this is, it's great. This is a possibility. Everybody's more transparent, more open, but we need to start really having the conversations about yeah, what this means. The support and the standards really need to catch up with um, the increase in popularity, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And the technology and it doesn't stop at the, doesn't end at the doctor's door. Be sure to get on social media on April 27th so you don't miss out on some giveaways, um, some book giveaways, some different promotions to join in memberships with different organizations for support, for education. Um, you're really going to have a lot of access to some great resources. And also, as I wrap up this episode, I will be sharing all the names of the partners that are involved. You can also go to donorconceptionawarenessday.com to see a list of all of the partners and learn more about their resources and offerings. National Donor Conception Awareness Day include Three Makes Baby, Fertility Circle, Half of Me Podcast, Happy Together Children's Book, The LGBT Mummies Tribe, Donor Concierge, Life DI Dad, Conceive Fertility Center, Tulip, Inconceivable, You Look Like Me podcast, Fertility Help Hub, Roads to Family, Egg Donation Australia, Donor Conception Network, Donor Conception and Beyond, Meta Getman, Your IVF Abroad, Cassandra Adams, Defining Mum, Sacred and Free, Healing Infertility, and Donor Conception Canada. If you would like to follow for more content, you can go to my Instagram and Facebook account at Jana Repnow LPC or follow Three Makes Baby on Instagram. You can get a copy of my book and the companion workbook to Three Makes Baby on Amazon. If you like this podcast, be sure to like and subscribe. Have a great day.